make sure that we keep in the forefront of our mind because I'm extremely passionate about this idea of us being able to make wise decisions. Because most of the time uh, in the ministry, I, at least my experience of ministry, when people come and talk to me and they're dealing with hardships, it's either because they've made a poor decision or they're in the midst of a situation and they're afraid they're about to make a poor decision. So I want you to be able to have the, the tools necessary to make wise decisions. We saw with Adam and Eve that first and foremost, that the decisions that we make can many times become bigger and last longer than we ever anticipated. The, the decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis, some of them, not all of them, but some of them will become bigger in their consequences and their consequences will last longer in our life and the lives of those around us uh, than we ever anticipated. And we saw that even though uh, oftentimes we make private decisions, those private decisions can make their way into the public arena. Our decisions don't just affect you. My decisions don't just affect me. They affect those around us. So if decisions are so important, as we saw with Adam and Eve, then how can we begin making wise decisions? How can you make wise decisions in your marriage? How can you make wise decisions with your finances? With, with your day-to-day -day choices. Maybe some of you sitting here today, you're wondering, I'm facing a situation and I see something in someone else's life and I feel like I need to speak up, but I'm not sure, should I? Should I sit back? Should, should I let God handle this? Should I let someone else speak into this person's life? Or do I need to say something? And if I say something, what do I say? How do I address that situation? Well, I want you to be able to make the wisest decision possible, not only for the glory of God, but for your benefit as well. I don't want any of us to have any more regret in our life. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where I believe God shares with us four key questions that we can ask of ourselves in any given particular situation that I believe will help us make wiser decisions in life. Because here's the thing. God wants the best for you. He is our loving Heavenly Father, and He wants His children to make wise decisions as we navigate this minefield called life. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn to the first chapter of the book of James, James chapter 1, and we're going to be looking in the first half of James chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of uh, background information of who James is and who he's writing to. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he is writing to a group of Christians spread throughout the Roman Empire during the first century. Now, if there was ever a group of people who needed to make wise decisions daily, make wise decisions in their life, it was first century Christians. Because they found themselves in an ungodly empire where uh, they were constantly under the threat of persecution, under the threat of losing their job, losing their family, losing maybe their own Life. If they were to step outside of uh, what they needed to do, if they were to make a, a miscalculation, if they were to make a poor decision, it could cost them everything. And so James writes to them, and, and this, the whole book of James really is an incredibly practical book. It's, it's basically the New Testament equivalent of the book of Proverbs. And so as we go through uh, the book of James, you see time and time again him offering timeless truths and principles on how we can live wise lives. And so he begins in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, we see the, the first insight he gives us in verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing 
that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let the patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now let's just pause there for a moment because I think there's an important principle uh, that James is highlighting here. But before we get into the question that we need to ask when we face certain situations, we need to understand a particular word that James uses here that will help us really understand the, the broader context of what this passage is getting at, at least what this verse is getting at. If you have a pen or a highlighter that you tend to mark your Bible with, I encourage you to just highlight or underline that word trials. Because that word trials, depending on its context and depending on the way that word is used, it can mean a lot of of various things. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of being under trial. Another way that this word is used is it's called testing. And again, I don't really like being tested. I never did very well with tests growing up. Another way that this word is used is it's also translated as temptations. And again, I think I could speak for most of us. I don't like going under temptations. I'd rather avoid trials. I would rather avoid temptations. I would rather avoid testing. But yet for some reason, James, the half-brother of Jesus here, says that we need to count, and that that word counting means uh, when you're counting up money or you're trying to assess the value of something. He's saying when when you are facing trials, when you're facing tests in life, When you're facing temptations, you should count yourself blessed. You should see it as a joyful occasion. Now, why in the world would uh, James say that our tests, our trials, and our temptations are a good thing, are a blessing? Now, before you answer that, I want you to just consider for a moment that we see this exact same word that we see here in the book of James mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. And the things that it said, uh, the way this word is used elsewhere in Scripture seems very different from the way that James is using it here. In fact, one of the uh, times that we see this word mentioned in Scripture is when Jesus, just after his baptism, you remember he rises up from the river of being baptized. The Father speaks down, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. You see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. And then the very next thing that happens As it says in chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, it says that the Holy Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. Some translations say tested. It's the same word that we see here in the book of James. Jesus was tempted. He was tested. Now, was was that a uh, fun and joyful experience for Jesus? Forty days in the wilderness, not eating not drinking, which is a miracle in and of itself. And then when he's at his weakest, when he's at at the breaking point, then the great tempter, the great adversary comes to him and tries to lead him away from God and cause him to sin. I don't think Jesus in that moment would have considered that a joyful experience. In fact, I, I dare say that that may have been why Jesus, a few chapters later in Matthew, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he uses that same exact word again, that word for trials or temptations or testing, when he tells his disciples, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not deliver us. Praying to God, please do not deliver me into temptation, into trials, into testing. Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray that. And then if that wasn't enough, 
You see, towards the uh, last few moments of Jesus' life, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's there and his disciples are sleeping, he pulls aside uh, John and and he pulls aside uh, Peter and he pulls aside James and he says, listen, I need you to pray with me in my hour of testing. And this is what he warns them in, in chapter 26. He says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Time and time again, Jesus was saying, avoid it. Pray that you don't enter that time of testing. So why in the world would James, the half-brother of Jesus, tell us here that when we face those times of trial, those times of testing, those times of temptation, to count it, to reckon it as joy, as a gift? I believe the reason why is because Trials and temptations and testings are almost two sides of the same coin. It depends on who you are focused on in those trials and temptations. If we are listening to the evil one, if we are listening to the one who is trying to lead us astray, then those temptations are excruciating experiences that we need to fight against, that we need to wage war against, and we need to resist at all times. But oftentimes the very same situation that tempts us and that tries us and pushes us to our breaking point are sometimes the very same situations that God uses to refine us and to make us stronger. We see in the book of Genesis, if you were to look in the Greek Septuagint and how it translates the Hebrew Old Testament, you would see that when Abraham was tested, the word there used in the Greek Septuagint is the same word here. It says, God tested Abraham by commanding him to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. That God wanted to see, does Abraham truly love me more than he loves anything else in this whole world, even the promised son that I've been telling him I was going to bring for years and years and years? If I ask him to give me his most precious thing, does he love me enough to where he's going to follow me? You see, I'm sure that in that moment, Abraham was tempted to walk away from God, but God was hoping that Abraham would stand up to that test be refined and grow closer to him through that trial, through that test. So here's what I know of you and me. We don't like the trials and the temptations. We don't like the tests that come into our life. I don't know what decisions you're facing. I don't know what agonizing things that are keeping you up at night that you don't know which way to go. But I believe that what James is telling us here is that we need to look at the big picture of what's going on here because when he looks at these trials, these tests, these temptations, notice what he says there. He says, you count it all joy, and here's the reason why we count them joy. Because we're not focused on the temptations that Satan is trying to bring our way to lead us away from God. We're focused on the work that God is doing in us. Notice what he says here. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You're waiting on God. You're waiting for him to bring that relief, that answer. But let patience have its perfect, or another way you can translate that is complete. Let it go all the way to the end. It's perfect, complete, lacking nothing work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Listen, God wants you to be a mature child of God. He doesn't want you to lack any form of wisdom or blessing. And sometimes the greatest blessings of God Or when we go through the trials and the temptations and the struggles of life and it refines us. Listen, the times I've grown the most, not only in my faith, but just in my own personal life is when I've gone through struggles and I've come out the other end. I don't always come out unscathed. Sometimes I've made horrible choices, but I can look back and God can teach me what to do better and differently the next time around. 
And so the first question I believe that, uh, the, uh, that God wants us to see here, the first principle that I hope that we'll all learn as we approach these situations, whatever struggle, whatever decision you're making, I want you to ask this question. What is the big picture here? What is the purpose of this trial, of this test, this struggle that I'm going through, this agonizing hardship that I'm going through? What is the purpose? Maybe you are trying to decide do I need to marry this person or not? Or maybe you have a, a child or a grandchild who's maybe trying to decide whether or not they should marry this person. I encourage you to ask them, what is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of getting married? Sometimes people will say it's happiness. I want to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And I, want to be, I want to live happily ever after. Or maybe they're thinking of the white picket fence with the 2.5 kids, right? And, and just the, the American dream. But I want to just suggest to you for a moment that all of that stuff is not what marriage is about. That marriage is not about happiness. What we actually see in God's Word is marriage is about holiness. It's about God refining you through the fire and the test of marriage. And if you've been married for any length of time, you know there are trials and tests, don't you? There are hardships. But guess what? If we stick with it and we keep our eyes focused on God and the things that He's refining and creating in us, then we'll be more mature and more godly and more Christ-like as we continue following him. Maybe you're, you're struggling with a purchase that you need to make, and it's a big purchase, and you know it can change the complete direction of your life. And you're wrestling, do I do, I do this? Do I not do this? Do I step out? Do I not step out? Listen, you need to ask yourself, what's the purpose of me doing that? Is it to keep up with the Joneses down the street? Is it so that I can look like everyone else, act like everyone else? So that when I put my uh, pictures on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be, everyone can be jealous of me? Or is it so that you can use those gifts and those resources to praise God and further his kingdom? We need to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the decisions we're about to make? What is it I'm trying to do? What, are, what am I trying to accomplish? And more importantly, what is God trying to accomplish in me and in this situation? What is the big picture. You know, uh, a few years back, probably more than a few years back at this point, uh, Pastor Rick Warren, many of y'all have heard Pastor Rick Warren, he wrote one of the, the, the nation's best-selling books, The Purpose Driven Life. And in that book, he constantly asks people to ask, what is the purpose of your life? Constantly ask that why question. And in that, he helped shape and guide countless individuals and even countless churches with Purpose Driven Church as well. It's a powerful question. I challenge each and every one of you, whenever you're facing decisions, maybe you're facing one right now, ask, what is the big purpose? What is the big picture? What is the purpose of this trial, of this struggle? Well, that's not the only question I want you to ask. Notice what also he says here uh, in verse, uh, let's see, go down to verse, verse uh, 5. Notice what he says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and again, I would raise my hand there, I, I lack wisdom so often. I need him to give me wisdom. He says this, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and he, it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let, him, let uh, not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here we see uh, John is now, I'm sorry, uh, James is now moving from, okay, first you need to consider the big picture. You need to consider the purpose of what God's doing in your life. But if you don't have the wisdom for that, 
if you don't have the wisdom for the decisions that you're facing, the struggle that you are encountering at this time, then guess what? We have someone that we can go to. We have someone that we can go and, and ask for wisdom, ask for all the resources that we need for whatever struggle and trial you're facing. Any struggle and trial that your family is facing, any struggle and trial your friends are facing, you can tell them, listen, go to God. Ask. And here's the beautiful part about what James reveals here about going to God. He says, not only can you go to God, but you can go to God and know that he is not going to condemn you. He is not going to guilt you. He's not going to make you feel bad that you don't know yet the answers. Because guess what? Time and time again, I've had to ask God the same question over and over and over again. Because guess what? I don't always get it the first time around. And God is constantly having to bring me back to the same old truths over and over again. And he doesn't make me feel bad, make me feel guilty about it. Because he's a loving, patient, heavenly father. And he says we can go to him and ask for wisdom. And the thing that I just love here is that oftentimes we're too afraid to ask God for the wisdom and the guidance that we need. I know that's true because so often we're too afraid and too timid and too private to even ask one another for wisdom and insight. But listen, we need to humble ourselves and realize we don't have all the answers. We can't make it through this life without God guiding us, directing us, showing us how to live this life. For his glory. You know, as I was thinking through this idea of going to God and asking him wisdom, I began thinking, you know, oftentimes we limit the way we ask God for things or the way we listen to God for things by just through our prayers. But you know, one thing that I found throughout my Christian life is that God is not limited to just speaking to us through our prayers, is he? Many of you can think of instances and situations where God, yes, has answered your prayers. Maybe he's spoken to you in that still, small voice in your heart or in your mind. But he's spoken in so many other ways too, hasn't he? He's spoken through other people that uh, he has brought into your life. Some of them are Christians. Some of them are godly individuals. Maybe it was a godly parent, a godly grandparent, a godly neighbor, or a pastor, or whoever it might have been, that spoke a word to you just in a moment, and it was exactly what you needed to hear. Maybe you were uh, sitting and listening to a message just like this, and you don't remember anything else that was said, but there was one thing that was said that, that struck your heart, that answered that question, that longing that you were waiting to hear from God. Sometimes God speaks through prayer, but sometimes he also speaks through people. I remember one powerful time where God really used uh, people to speak into my life. Uh, was a time when I was uh, still in high school. I was just about to graduate. I was about to go into seminary. It was a, a huge transitional uh, moment for me. And there was a time in my life where I was excited for a number of reasons. One of the reasons I was excited was because at that time in my life, I was engaged to be married. I was engaged to be married not to Jenna, but to someone else that I had been dating for many years at that point. And I, we had been dating for probably about three years. We were graduating high school together. I was going to go off to college. We were going to get married sometime uh, in the near future. And I was so focused on all the things that I thought were right for my life. But there, just before I moved off to seminary, I had my pastor, my youth pastor, and a couple other college students who were invested in the youth at that time who came and sat down with me and said, listen, we see incredible potential in you. We see God's hand moving in your life and shaping you, and you're going to do some incredible things. But listen, this relationship is not a part of God's plan for you. 
This relationship, y'all are going in two completely different directions. And you have a choice to make. And they prayed with me, and then they let me decide. And so often I, I think back to that moment, and if I were not to listen to the godly voices in my life at that point, I don't know what my life would have looked like. It was excruciating for them to talk to me, to share that kind of story with me, or to share that insight that God laid on their heart, and it was excruciating for me to hear. I thank God every day that he had softened my heart to hear those words and to follow them, because I do believe that was God speaking to me through other individuals in my life. Some of you, I'm sure, had hoped that God had put someone in your life to speak those words to you before you made a decision, before you stepped out and ended up in a decision that caused untold regret in your life. Years wasted. Listen, God speaks through prayer. Sometimes he speaks through people. And sometimes he just speaks through providential circumstances as he shapes and directs your life. But here's what I want you to ask. As you're facing these decisions, I want you to ask that first question. What's the big picture? What's the purpose of this trial, this decision I'm about to face? But here's the second question that I believe that we see here in the book of James. And that question is this. Who do I need to hear from in this moment, on this particular issue? Do I need to go to God in prayer? Have I even asked him his thoughts on this decision? Are there other people that God has placed in my life that maybe I am putting my hands over my ears and I don't want to hear what they have to say, but maybe they have some insights that they can speak into my life that would spare me from regret and from hurt? Who do you need to hear from with that decision that you're facing right now? Who would you like to speak into the lives of your loved ones before they make big decisions and begin praying that God would put circumstances and people in their life to speak God's truth and give them ears to hear. Not only that, I want you to take a look here in uh, verse 9. So we see that we need to ask what the big picture is. We need to ask, who do I need to listen to? But also we see here in verse 9, it says this, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flowers fail, and its, beauty, uh, uh, its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Here is a, just a wonderful uh, tool that James uses here to communicate a powerful truth. He gives you an illustration of something that looks completely contradictory. He says, you see that poor individual who has nothing to his name. He pulls up to the church parking lot and he's driving a car that you can hear a mile away. It's billowing smoke out the back. He steps out. He's wearing the, the, uh, the shabbiest clothes. He smells before you even uh, get close to him. You see that individual? Even though he looks lowly, that may be someone that God thinks highly of. And then you see this other person pull up in the, the latest, nicest Cadillac. He comes out. All the family comes out. They're dressed in the, in the finest. All the kids seem well-behaved. They have a big smile on their face. They come in. You recognize immediately that, man, he is well-connected. He would be great to talk to for business purposes or just to, to get together and hang out. I want to be connected with him. And God says, you know that person? He's eaten up with pride. 
You know, that person, he is so spiritually mature and he's walking away from God. See, oftentimes we judge things by what we see and by our estimation, and God is looking at things from a completely different perspective. And so often when we're in the midst of making those decisions and we're in the midst of trials and temptations and struggles, we're making those decisions based upon what we see. And we're not pausing for a moment to see what God says about it, about the other side of the issues that we can't see. So often we are blinded by our own perceptions or by our own background. Listen, I have come to find out that oftentimes, and most of the time, we can rarely see one another in situations objectively. We just don't. We have too much history. We have too many experiences. We have too much uh, personal preferences wrapped up in some of these decisions that we make that we cannot see what's right in front of us. And so if we're going to make wise decisions, we got to understand we have to take the blinders off. We have to say that, you know what, as much as I believe that this is right and this decision is the way we need to go, listen, we, every one of us think that our opinions are the right opinions. All of us think that our, our stances on certain issues and our, 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 our beliefs and decisions are the right ones, otherwise we wouldn't be making them. But so often, we're blinded to some important factors in our decision-making. We're blinded to certain elements that we need to be in consideration of. And so I want to encourage you, not only do you need to be asking yourself, what's the big purpose? What's the big picture? What's the end goal to all this? Not only do we need to be uh, asking, what voice do I need to hear? Who do I need to hear from in this moment? How is God going to uh, speak to me and guide me? But also we need to be asking this question. What side of this issue am I not seeing? What thing in this particular decision am I not getting? Because here James is pointing out that poor person, that's the person that you need to be focusing on because God is doing amazing things in their life. And you're going to miss it because you're so focused on what you think is right and what you think is true. You're so focused on living uh, this way and chasing after these things, and those things are fading away like the flowers of the field. And so we need to ask ourselves, what about this decision? What about this person? What about this uh, decision as it relates to uh, taking that job? It looks like the perfect job that you've always been waiting for. And you don't realize that the people at that job are just miserable as can be because the boss just doesn't show any respect to anyone. If you were to uh, make that decision that looks so great on the outside, you would be miserable and your family would be miserable too. And you need to ask, what about this decision am I not seeing? That I need some clarity, I need some, some blinders taken off so I can see this for what it really is. And that question leads directly into the last, and I believe one of the hardest questions that we need to ask ourselves when we're facing difficult decisions, these trials and these tests. So I want you to look with me real quick. We're going to spend the remainder of our time here because I think this is just so important that we, if I had to pinpoint one particular place where most people fall prey to bad decisions, it's this one right here. Notice what it says here in verse 12. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then 
When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But uh, be, uh, do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, which there is no variation or shadow of turning. Or his, uh, or his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Here what we see is John just gives a litmus of all types of truths that we need to hold in mind. First of all, he has begun this whole section by saying, listen, we are all going to face trials. You're all going to face temptations. You're either facing it now or you're going to face one in the near future. And when you face those trials, when you face those temptations, when you face those tests, you need to understand there's going to be a lot of things going on in your heart and in your mind. He says one of the things that you're going to face is you're going to be tempted to think, why in the world did God bring me into this situation? Why in the world am I facing this circumstance? Why do I have to make this decision? And you're going to ask yourself, why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen to my family? Why are you allowing this to happen to my church? Why are you allowing this to happen to our nation? I think a lot of people have been asking that since all this COVID and rioting and everything. Why is all this happening? And it's tempting in those times and in those situations where you are struggling and where you're facing hardships to think that it's God's fault. Now, a lot of us, we've been in church long enough and we've been Christian long enough where we know that it's not polite and it's not right to ask those type of questions and to suggest that God has brought hardships into our life. But listen, many Christians have faced that struggle where they they begin to doubt God and they begin to even get angry at God because of the things that he has allowed into their life. And listen, if that is you, I just want to speak to you for just a moment. If you have encountered situations, struggles, maybe heart-wrenching situations where you feel, God, why in the world did you allow this to happen to me? Or why did you allow this to happen to my loved ones? Then let me just tell you, you are in good company because throughout God's word, men and women of God have constantly faced those very same situations. In fact, David, a man after God's own heart, time and time again, cried out to God, get angry with God, and poured out his anger, his frustrations, his doubts, and his insecurities to God when he faced trials and when he faced struggles. And if David, a man after God's own heart, can be open and authentic and real with God, because listen, God already knows what's in your heart. If you're wrestling with that and you're struggling with that, listen, you can't hide that from God. You can hide it from everyone else. You can hide it from me. You can hide it from Pastor Daryl and the rest of your church family. But God knows what's in your heart. Instead of trying to hide it away, God just wants you to bring it to him. To lay it at his feet and say, listen, God, here's what I'm struggling with, and I don't know how to get rid of it, but I'm just going to be open and honest. I'm going to lay this at your feet, and please help me deal with this anger. Help me deal with this frustration. Help me deal with this doubt. And guess what? Just like James said earlier on in the passage, God will give you wisdom, he'll give you guidance, and he'll give you grace without making you feel bad, without making you uh, feel ashamed, or without condemning you. The enemy wants you to run away from God feeling like you have to hide all of that. But God is saying, I'm right here. I've seen it all. I've seen you in your worst situations. I've seen you making the worst decisions. And even in that moment, I still chose to die for you. Think about that. That God saw me at my worst and you at your worst. And he still said they're worth it. I love them. 
So don't feel like you have to hide whatever is going on in your heart. God is inviting you right here and now to come to him, to lay it all out and to work with him, walk with him as y'all work through the, 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 all the stuff that's in your heart that you've accumulated over, this, over the, this journey of life. I want you to notice what he says here. He says, not only do we not need to uh, believe that God is tempted, here's the reason why, because God is not tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. What does he say the temptation comes from? From me, from my heart. When I am in the midst of a trial, when I'm in the midst of a a difficult situation, when I am facing that decision, do I go this way or do I go that way? And I have to make a choice. And Satan is saying, hey, Jim, go this way over here. Here's the way you need to go. You have all the wisdom you need. You have all the resources you need. Listen, no one has to know about this. Or Listen, it's all going to work out. Go this way. And God is over here just whispering, hey, here's where you need to go. In that moment, my heart faces a decision. I don't know how things will end. I don't know what the right course is, but I have a decision. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? And it's the exact same decision that we saw last week with Adam and Eve. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? It's the same exact decision that every man and woman under under the sun has faced throughout humanity. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? And the thing is, when we face those decisions, we don't face them objectively. We face them with a ton of emotion, don't we? We have all kinds of emotion. We have fear. We have worry. We have excitement. Have you ever wanted to buy something and you knew that it was just a ridiculous purchase, but you'd already made it up in your mind, and even though you can't make ends meet and you can't figure out how you're going to uh, get uh, this month's groceries or whatever it may be, you don't know how you're going to make this work, but you've already decided in your mind, I love this, I want this, I don't care what anyone else says, I don't care how foolish it is, I'm going to get it. It's because you're not looking objectively, you're looking with your emotions, and your heart is guiding you at that point. Listen. God's word tells us that our hearts are incredibly deceitful. No man can know it. Our hearts have been distorted and polluted. And so God's answer, we need new hearts. We need God to change us, to refine us. Here's what I need us to understand. that Not only do we need to ask God, or do we need to ask ourselves in, in those difficult times, what is the purpose, what is the big picture of this thing that I'm facing? Whose voice do I need to hear in this moment? We, all, we, we need to also ask, uh, what is it? What are the emotions going on in our heart? What are, what's going on deep down in my heart? No one else will see this. No one else will know this is what's going on in my heart. But here, what am I really thinking in my heart? Sometimes we feel like our emotions are truth. That if I feel this way, therefore I act this way. That's what the world is telling us. Follow your heart. Let your heart be your guide. That is a recipe for disaster. Listen, some of you are here today. You're facing a decision and you're angry. You've been wronged by someone and you want to say something back to them. You want to tear them up one side and down the other. You want to give them a piece of your mind because no one is going to walk all over me. And if I don't say something, then they're just going to continue to hurt me. They're going to continue to use me. And I got to say something. I got to speak out. Listen, You may need to speak out. I don't know. I don't know your situation. But let me just encourage you in a moment. Don't speak out in anger. 
Don't let your emotions decide when you speak out and what you say when you do speak out. You ask yourself, what's really going on in my heart? Maybe you're sitting here today and uh, some of y'all are in a relationship that you don't need to be in. But your heart is so wrapped up in that other person and you, you know that it's not the right relationship to be in. You have had other people tell you it's not the right relationship for you to be in. But you're so tied up and you're so interconnected with all your emotions, you can't envision a break. You can't envision separating and going the direction God wants you to go. I encourage you to step back and really assess what's going on in your heart and turn that over to God. And maybe you don't have the strength to see clearly through all the emotions that are approaching the decision that you're facing, but you can ask God to help you begin seeing clearly. You can ask God to begin giving you that clarity you need to make that decision. James, the brother of Jesus, faced incredible trials and struggles as he was going through his life. He faced trials starting off because he didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe he was the Messiah. And all that changed after the resurrection. He saw his brother rise from the tomb. And then he was faced with the decision. Do I follow him as Lord and Savior? Or do I close my eyes off, close my heart off, and continue going the direction I need to go or want to go? James made a decision to trust his half-brother, Jesus, as his Lord and Savior. And he lived his life and died for the cause of Christ. It was an excruciating time to be a Christian and to make decisions. We, we live in a world where there's so many freedoms, so many opportunities. But listen, I am confident that we still face just as many hardships and just as many trials. They may look a little bit different from the first century Christians, but listen, it's no less dangerous out there for Christians spiritually, relationally. And if I could make those decisions for you, I would be tempted to, but I know that I make just as many mistakes myself. But listen, God has you here at this time to hear this message because he wants you to be prepared for the decisions that wait for you when you walk out those church doors. I want you to begin asking those four questions whenever you have a decision to make and begin making decisions that will not only better your life, better your family, better your workplace, but also better your relationship with God as he does incredible, amazing work in and through you. God has something in store for you. Don't waste it with bad decisions. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to have an opportunity to come before God. And, and some of you may need to say, you know what, God? I've made some bad decisions. Please forgive me. Help renew and restore my life from the, the mess that I've made of it so far. If you've never accepted Christ, that's the first wise decision you need to make, is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, Pastor, I'm so glad that I've heard this because I'm facing a decision right now that is excruciating. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Listen, the first place you go, the first thing you do is go to your Heavenly Father. Go and ask Him for the wisdom that only He can provide and begin asking these questions that we find in His Word to begin making uh, the way back into the center of His will. Let me pray with you as we go into our time of invitation. Wonderful Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, which is new each and every day. Father, thank you that you have given us grace that even though we have made poor decisions, Lord, we have regrets in our past. Lord, you have said that we, uh, our, our future, our, your plans for us are so much bigger than our, our mistakes. 
Lord, that your grace will cover a, a sea of bad decisions. And Lord, we thank you that our, our, our brightest days are ahead of us in you. Lord, we thank you that we can go forward confidently, knowing that you are guiding us and doing a great, great work in us. Father, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters in Christ here, Lord, that as we approach now this time of invitation, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would hear your voice clearly. And Lord, that we would walk in your direction. Lord, that we would follow your wisdom and your guidance for your, good, uh, for your namesake, for your kingdom, and for our blessing, Lord. We just ask that you would guide us here in this moment. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.